0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of Red Pillier HealthCast. My name is Dr. Charlie Fagenholz and I'm here with Lauren Johnson, everyone's favorite nurse practitioner. And we have an awesome episode today. We have a great guest. Uh, he is the future of farming um, and he's known as Bill Gates. Bill Gates, everybody. Uh, I'm just playing. We don't play that game. Everyone knows that. Um, we have someone who everyone should know about, someone who's making a change in the world and uh, that we look up to. So his name is Robbie Sansom. And he is the CEO and co-founder of Force of Nature. So Robbie, thank you for coming on here with us today. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Um, and the, how I want to kind of just jump into is what is regenerative farming and what is it not? And then let's just have that take us through the conversation, uh, for the day.
1: Well thanks for having me and thanks for the for the intro. And uh I, I, ho- I hope I'm nowhere approaching Bill Gates. Uh, in, <laughs> we hope in, not. in terms of uh in terms of my my social skills or in terms of the impact I'm I'm having on the world and my <laughs> overconfidence that I'm and, and my correctness. Uh the uh yeah, regenerative agriculture, you know, that's the foundation of what we're focused on here at, at, at Force of Nature and there's there's a lot Uh, of directions to go from there and why we're how we're doing that and why we're doing it but but what you know when i think of regenerative agriculture i think i'd like to compare it to the industrial system so that we have like what it is versus what the industrial system is i don't think most consumers even know what the current system is so when you explain regenerative it's sort of like hey i thought that's how it would work because it makes sense so maybe we can do that in a moment but in its simplest form, regenerative agriculture is practicing agriculture, whether it's plant or animals, agriculture, so raising food, um, in a way that harmonizes with nature, that celebrates the wisdom of nature, that improves and leverages the natural function and the natural cycles of nature, the energy cycle, the water cycle, the carbon cycle, um, so many different things that have... Through billions of years of evolution, been perfected into how to sustain life on the planet. And I think, um, we then as humans come into the, come into the picture maybe, maybe 10, 12,000 years ago, coming out of the last ice age and have figured out how to, um, create food production systems to sustain civilization. And we've gone from doing that sustainably where Aristotle and Plato, um, would have written about the importance of soil health, um, to really kind of taking a, um, domination mindset, uh, over nature. And in the last generation or two with the, with the green, quote unquote green revolution, um, figured out how to, uh, industrialize, mechanize, um, and replace, you know, a, a system of natural laws and biology with a system of chemistry and 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 mechanical technology it's not to say chemistry and mechanical technology are always bad in every instance but if you you can be short-sighted you can't have unintended consequences and the result now is um you know at a large scale an agriculture system that is having a very serious um adverse consequence on a variety of issues across the globe if potentially the primary cause of some of the most um, concerning crises we face, from drought issues globally to flood issues globally, to the loss of 1% of insect species every single year globally, to loss of food productivity and concerns around the ability to produce food in the future, dead zones in oceans, toxins in waterways, loss of nutritional density in food, um, leading to um, you know, deficiencies and declining declines in life expectancy when coupled with an introduction of terrible toxins and harmful, um, uh, compounds in foods. And the list goes on and on loss of pollinators, which are necessary for food production, loss of topsoil, which is the uh, substance all life, all terrestrial life depends on. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that we're really passionate about. I, I, I'd love to expand on those, but I kind of wanted to, uh, to kind of give you that high level overview first.
0: Yeah. I good. think that's good. It's a nice bird's eye view of, of all of it. And like, as you were talking, you can hear the passion in your voice. And the other thing that I, the word that kept coming to my mind with regenerative farming is just like congruency and how congruent it is for, uh, with our planet, what, what's meant to be. And anyone listening to that, I mean, doesn't matter what you think. You're going to hear that and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, congruency or symbiosis. Yeah. You know, I think if we, when you're working within the system, you know, there's balance, there's harmony. Um, there, The externalities are all positive and celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you're disrupting the system. You know, the externalities become extremely negative. I just rattled off a, a, a whole bunch of those. Um, and again, it's, it has to do with practices, you know, to, 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 elaborate on that a bit, you know, industrial agriculture, chemical industrial monocrop agriculture is the cornerstone, probably 90% of agriculture across, across the, across the globe. The overwhelming majority of agriculture in the United States. Agriculture across the globe, there's about 30 billion acres for all intents and purposes. And about 10 or 11 million, uh, billion, excuse me, 30 billion acres, 10 or 11 billion of those acres have some form of agriculture practiced on them. In the U.S., of little over 2 billion acres of land, a little under 1 billion acres of agriculture. So we're talking about almost half the landmass of the United States, almost a third of the landmass of the globe. We are, as humans, manipulating natural ecosystems to produce food. And overwhelmingly, we are severely disrupting and degrading those ecosystems um, for the excuse of producing food. We are doing that through just sh- like leveling ecosystems, like you think about in the rainforest, yeah.
2: um,
1: or like we have done throughout the United States and the Great Plains by running tractors and tilling up the soil and bulldozing trees to create long fields. We do that through um spraying multiple different uh chemical compounds designed designed to terminate life, fungicide pesticide um, herbicide and then adding fertilizer on top of that so all of these things have 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 negative consequences Um, we eliminate wildlife Um, we eliminate um, life beneath the soil Let's, let's be clear about how wild the soil is all life depends on it it's a tiny 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 minuscule thin Layer that covers some parts of the globe, which all terrestrial life depends on. 95% of life on soil exists uh, on land. But it exists beneath the soil. We only see the 5% that's above. Yeah. We know less about the soil than we do the ocean or the rainforest. Uh, and, and yet we are, are decimating that ecosystem and what is, you know, the rep, what we see above the soil is a representative of a, a representation of the health of what is beneath it. And so we've decimated our soils. I think we've degraded some 70% of our food production systems globally. Um, and some 30% are desertified. Again, we're talking billions of acres, um, through, through some of those practices that I, that I just highlighted. And again, it's, um, Taking, you know, again, 900 million acres in the United States. Maybe at any given time, between three and 600 million acres of that is corn. Rows of corn. No other life. Dirt in between. Only GMO corn being spread. All this stuff. So it's like life can't happen. The circle of life, the balance, all of the symbiosis. Everything has a role. Um, doesn't exist. And and then that system starts to decline and decline as as more biology um it is 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 disrupted it disrupts the weather patterns it disrupts all those cycles and again going back to the original question what is regenerative agriculture it's a response to that it is a solution to that it is saying hey we can produce food we can produce more nutritionally dense calories as many calories as we need um as much uh, quantity of better food as we need and we can do so in a way that improves that that Reverses everything I just said. Creates more diversity. Creates more wildlife. Creates more habitat. Builds soil. Improves the water system. Mitigates drought. Mitigates flood. Doesn't require require chemical inputs and amendments. Celebrates biology over chemistry. Replaces a vicious system with a virtuous one. Um, and,
0: and what's the what's the? Sorry to cut you off, but what is the uh, the steps to do? to achieve that. So like what, like what, what is regenerative farming do different to the soil that, that would allow the ecosystem to flourish again and to maintain that like symbiotic uh, relationship.
1: It, it, it can mean a lot of different things and in, in, in a lot of different contexts. It's kind of mm-hmm. a, a lame answer. So I'll, 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 I'll highlight some of the, yeah, the, the core principles, the flexibility and yeah, how great. you
0: apply those. Yeah. Um, so okay. that's what people want to hear. So that's perfect way of saying it.
1: Yeah. So, um, there's generally six core principles and they, you know, we could talk for an hour on each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the first is, uh, limiting chemical and mechanical disturbance. So don't till, um, mm-hmm. don't spray, um, toxins.
0: Um, wait, so, so glyphosate's not good for us.
1: You know, I think. There's been some recent uh, research and studies that, that says it's showing up in our urine, it's showing up in our breast milk, and it's causing cancer and other sort of diseases of Western civilization when you consider we, spl- we spray millions and billions of pounds of this stuff and it just goes everywhere, including waterways. And
0: yeah, and the half life's like 30 years, so it just sticks around in our water samples and breast milk and, and all that type of stuff. And, and um, don't I don't mean, lie.
2: that's, that's <laughs> herbicide. With hormone issues, like glyphosate Mm -hmm. is a massive hormone disruptor. Leaky gut predisposes to other conditions. And so it's everywhere. And you guys are doing it different.
1: And fertility rates are, what, half of what they used to be? A woman in her her 20s today is half as fertile as her grandma in her 40s. And a sperm count of a man is half of what it would have been a decade or two ago.
2: And the testosterone levels. Like, testosterone is super important for men. Testosterone levels are way down. Not even just talking about fertility, but just overall health of a man um and just how much glyphosate has impacted that
1: yeah so 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 limiting so first principle limiting chemical and mechanical disturbance for some of the reasons we just mentioned and many more i'll add just for elaboration on that mechanical why why no tilling soil is amazing it is when it's healthy it is like chocolate cake in that it has it's porous it has holes in it it's dark it's rich sometimes you smell it and it's earthy it actually holds itself together 50% of what is beneath the soil and healthy soil is air. So you have the ability for life to exist. You have space for water that's held together by all sorts of life. Um, and there's these incredible organisms, some fungal networks that can transport nutrients. It's like there's a, there's a, there's an entirely amazing world down there and we're, we're converting energy from the sun and that's become that those sugars and exudates become the currency for all this life beneath the soil to take rocks and turn them into micronutrients and to shift and transport things around and then to upcycle them through plants and other things uh, that then upcy- are upcycled through herbivores and omnivores. And, and it just like, it's this really cool cycle. When you till, you kill all that. You just disrupt it and and mm. you set it back. And when you till, you also oxidize and release carbon into the atmosphere. So 30% of the legacy load of carbon in the atmosphere today that is man-made is from tilling only. Just simply tilling, taking what the life that is there, killing it, and then that oxidizing and releasing carbon. Cause we're all carbon based life, right? So when, when we die, we turn into forms of carbon. And in this case, it releases as gas, carbon. So tilling so some me- chemical mechanical disturbance pretty bad. So start to limit those things. Um, so that you can allow, you know, recovery and, and you're not, you're doing more good than harm. A second principle is, is to armor the soil or leave the soil covered. So. Um, it's, it's not foreign to anybody to, to perhaps drive or fly and see massive amounts of bare ground where somebody has just tilled and then left the soil bare, except when you, where you don't see that as anywhere in nature, maybe except for deserts. Um, but we're talking about food production systems and deserts don't, uh, don't apply there. It's a whole different sort of ecosystem. What you don't see in in, in, in nature is a monoculture, like I mentioned before, you also see, A lot of things um, popping up out of the ground to do stuff. The the, the reason bare soil is bad, if you think about hot and cold, when it gets, when it's sunny and hot, particularly in the South, or when it's the winter and cold, particularly in the North, there is extreme temperature and that can translate into the soil and that can kill that life beneath the soil. You can get upwards of 140 degrees in the soil here in Texas when it's bare, that's about 15 degrees North of where, where we want to cook steaks to, to kill pathogens um you're just nuking life and you're exposing it it can get real hot it can get real cold it also allows for and causes compaction so the terminal velocity of a drop of rain is enough that when it hits the surface of the soil it has an impact especially times millions and billions of rainfall and then then that ends up compacting what makes it kind of impenetrable so the next rain won't soak in it also exposes it uh and we want we want rain to soak in because we need it to last between rain events so we don't have food issues, food security issues, drought issues. Which
2: Mm -hmm. increases the flooding, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Which leads to flooding and leads to erosion. So bare soil allows for wind erosion or rain erosion or other forms of erosion. And again, it takes over 500 years to produce an inch of topsoil. Okay. Mm -hmm. We are losing topsoil at unprecedented rates. When, when When the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization said, hey, Um, We only have 60 harvests left. What they were saying is, Hey, we have lost a ton of topsoil, (laughs) more than a ton, billions of tons of topsoil. Um, and it is not, it is a non-renewable resource. And at the rate we're losing it, we won't be able to produce food. In fact, I think we lose half a percent of the world's supply of topsoil every year. The number in the United States, according to the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, it's a sub, component of the USDA. In the US as of like 2016 I think we had gotten our rates of erosion down to about 2 billion tons per year. The EPA says the number one water pollutant in our country is soil. Particularly soil carrying all kinds of toxic things in it that create dead zones in oceans and, and screwed up waterways and poison reservoirs. But like let's go back to that number just real quick for fun cuz 2 billion tons is not fathomable, from not for me at least. So I had to try to like paint a picture with that. It took me a minute, but yeah, the average, the average Ford or Dodge or, or 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 Toyota or Chevy pickup truck, a 1500 model, will hold um, uh, two tons. So of, of soil. So imagine just like look, we go out to the highway, look at the average person's residential, you know, truck, and imagine it being full of soil in the back. That's two tons. So to represent what our annual In the United States alone, loss of this non-renewable critical resource, you would need to line up a billion trucks in a row to represent 2 billion tons of topsoil. Hmm. And to complete the picture, that row of trucks wraps around the equator over 150 times. Wow. That's how much topsoil just in the United States we lose every single year of this critical resource. So let's not... And increase its ability to erode by leaving it exposed and bare. Um, so, whole bunch of reasons why. Again, we leave the soil armored or covered. The last one is when it does rain. If when it what does and is able to infiltrate, obviously, it doesn't. You know, we've all been under trees. You dig under the layer of what's you know the positive organic litter that's on top, and it's more moist. It's helping to retain. So, and then lastly, that all that life on the soil. You need that life. Um, to eventually decay and eventually feed that soil biology right it's life death decay new life well that cycle can't happen if we remove all of the life from the surface of the soil and you can't have that that circle so I've talked about the first principle that, that we just talked about the second principle of leaving the soil covered or armored um, you know the third principle I would say is you know green growing plants and living roots year round again, Green ground plants are living roots, but one of the things they do is they hold soil in place. Um and the the other thing that they do is they are the mechanism for energy and nutrient exchange, um, meaning the most powerful energy source in our solar system is the sun. And the only way for life beneath the soil to be to receive energy is through plants that are doing this incredible thing called photosynthesis. Yeah. Um they can take CO2 and the energy from the sun. Uh, and they convert it and they sustain themselves. And then they do this really cool thing. They spit off oxygen for us to breathe, right? And what stays behind? Carbon, CO2 in, O2 out, carbon. And that carbon becomes them because they're carbon-based life, the body, the form of the plant. But it also becomes their roots and it becomes sugars and other nutritious exudates that they share in a currency exchange and a nutrition exchange with life beneath the soil. And that includes carbon that includes nitrogen that all all different sorts of compounds and things that happen that are ignited um, because the plants are their um, keystone in in the cycle and then also the nutrient process again plants um, are upcycling stuff out of the soil and then herbivores and omnivores think bison cattle you know eating those plants and upcycling through cellulose into protein and other forms that 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 we can eat Um, you think about the the photosynthetic capacity of any given area. It has to do with how many leaves are there, the different shapes of leaves that are there, the different types of canopy and how high and how low they are. So so, really, plants are really critical in a number uh, in this cycle.
0: Do you, do you think that we should be eating plants or you think that animals should be eating those plants when we be eating those animals?
1: I think it's a combination of both. It depends. You know, most plants are toxic for us. I don't think mm-hmm. that, that fact should be, should be lost on us. Right. And many plants that, that we do eat, would be toxic if we didn't have some way of processing them through cooking or fermenting or, or some other form. And there's pros and cons to that. And and, and you guys, and maybe Paul Saladino and some others would be, would be better to, to dig into, you know, the implications of that. I, I tend to be a, a, a fruit and meat and, um, centric, um, you know, dieter, but, um, it doesn't you know, regardless, plants are necessary and appropriate for functioning ecosystems. And, and, and again, you know, you look at some of the reason that we till it's so that it's to keep weeds from popping up. Oh, oh weeds are coming in my field. I need to go. I need to go burn a bunch of petroleum, spend a couple days and till, till my field. Well, it's like, you know why those weeds are there? Nature is trying to heal. Yeah, it's trying to kickstart the cycles of life again It's putting plants and they do different jobs. Which sort of leads to the the next principle, which is um, diversity. So that would be the fourth. uh, I think we're on the fourth principle now. Um, Diversity. Um, Again, we talked about the symbiosis a minute ago. Everything has a role. It is, you know, it's the, it's nature hedging. It's making sure there's forms of balance. For every undesirable pest species, there are thousands of desirable pest species. Let's not spray insecticides and destroy the capacity and potential for all of the key ecosystem services that that we need. Um, Diversity of plants. You know, I mentioned all of the job that plants, some of these plants make nitrogen. You know, what is fertilizer, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium? Um, You know, a lot of furnished fertilizer is nitrogen. Why are we taking the remnants of old chemical warfare factories and creating synthetic nitrogen when the atmosphere is 78% nitrogen. And there are nitrogen-fixing plants that do that job in nature. If we don't remove them from the face of the earth, then we don't need to support or amend our land bases with nitrogen because we have nitrogen-fixing plants. Tons of favorable insects. Obviously, there are animal species, wildlife. Birds have a role. Amphibians have a role. Reptiles have a role. All of these, these different diverse um Parts of the animal kingdom um, and, and the natural kingdom are playing a role. So, so diversity is critical in healthy functioning and, and thriving ecosystems. I would add <clears throat> second to last animal impact. And this kind of goes back to your, 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 your question about plants versus animals. We yeah. can talk about plant-based agriculture versus animal-based agriculture. i kind of like to talk about that as a follow-up once I get through these principles. But plants are necessary for healthy ecosystems. And so are animals, um, there's no way around it. Um, these our most fertile food production systems evolved from plains-based, grassland-based, pasture-based ecosystems that relied on keystone animal species. Keystone meaning they disproportionately and positively are benefited by the impact of the singular species in a ratio that exceeds the number of those animals. So you know you hear about bison being a keystone species because they're necessary for ecosystem function. Um, in the case of North America, the largest herd of, herd of megafauna since the last ice age was bison. They would roam from Canada to, to Mexico. They were created they were the soil builders of the Great Plains in between. They would trample um, grasses, and like I talked about, keep the dead, the oxidizing biomass, trample it down to the surface of the, the, the soil to allow. You know, biology and, and, and the micro, the, the biome of the soil to decay that and break it and you know, complete that nutrient exchange cycle. They offer they inoculate the land through their feces, their fertilizer, their natural fertilizer, um, which feeds a ton of biology. Um, it, it, when you think about a herd of millions and millions of bison, when they're running by, they're urinating. That is bringing water into a system during periods of an of, of, arid areas or during periods of drought. They're creating habitat through wallows that retains water that also, you know, there are species that require their fur or require those wall wallows full of water to exist. Um, And they are upcycling and they're, they're serving the predators that follow them and they're doing so many things. So you need animals in these systems. Obviously today we've just, we've fenced off through private property rights. We've dammed up waterways. We've restricted a lot of different things. We've largely eliminated the herds of bison. So, you know, That is an example of one of these key principles that needs to be emulated in our agriculture systems. And that is an example of what you do in regenerative agriculture. You look at that example of bison in North America and you say, okay, hey, instead of just opening, you know, putting a bunch of cows in a field and just letting them sit there for a year, can I emulate the bison migration by moving my cattle, by letting them have a lot of impact, eat everything that's there unselectively, Trample the soil a little bit, fertilize it, urinate on it, and then move on and not come back so that land can recover. And we can kind of emulate, however imperfectly, on our own land base that. So that's an example of of, of animal impact. Um, and the and I talked about predators; those are animals, you know. So like they'd be pushing these herds to move it and so on. And the last one is is con is know your context or, um, and that kind of speaks to my my first point is that it depends how you apply these depends. If you're in Alaska you have a different uh, reality and opportunity than if you're in the tropics. Um, you know, Texas is different than Oregon. Um, you know, if you're farming um, pigs or chicken, it's different than, you know, beef or bison. If you're raising um, uh, plants and you're doing vegetables or, or fruit, it's different. If you have a lot of kids and you have tons of human resources, you might approach applying these principles differently than if you are a single person, but you got a lot of money. Um, if you're in a place that gets more rain or less and on and on and on. And so I think like not taking a very rigid black and white, here's the one way to do it by saying, Hey, where are you? What's your land? Like, where are you starting? Let's just try to figure out the next best step so that we can, we can find a path forward to improving and again, regenerating uh, the land base that you're on.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I know you want to get into uh, like raising animals and versus plants and, and things like that. Uh, just before this, this popped into my head, where can someone who's going to a store find uh, agriculture that is brought up through regenerative farming? Like what can they look for? Is it a la- on the labels? You know, how, how do they uh, have access to that?
1: Um, that's actually one of the core problems that force of nature uh, was founded to, to help solve, yeah. um, <clears throat> I think, and the, the answer varies by market. You know, and I, we can we can talk about the grocery store. I'd, I'd hate to just focus on that because there's a, there's other important avenues. Um, but you know, I think you know for th- as as for things to look for, I mean, I think for a claim a claim of regenerative agriculture is an important one. It's not well defined and established in the market necessarily, but there there is some um, necessary Proof required. The USDA require, if you're going to put regenerative on a package of meat, the USDA requires you to prove by some definition of regenerative. So that's a starting point. It's not like a perfect, you'll, you'll get it right every time, but there's not a whole lot of companies that are, that are even trying to do that. And those that are are generally better than, than not. There are third parties that have robust protocols for making that claim. Um, Savory Institute has a, uh, has a protocol called their land of market. And you can see that seal on package. The Rodale Institute has one called Regenerative Organic Certified. Uh, Another organization called Understanding Ag has one called Regenified. And there are a whole bunch of other ones. I I don't want to go into the the detail. They all have pros and cons. Generally, they're not widely distributed. So I don't want somebody to say I'm only going to look for that. We source from ranches that overwhelmingly have all, but, you know, any of those three, it's kind of one of our foundational requirements. Not every ranch but the overall majority carries one of those three for the very few that don't, we do our own verification system and we actually have a savory master verifier on staff to help us with that. But, um, but again, we don't put that on pack, even though we're sourcing from that, but we leverage them as a third party because we want to make sure that there's transparency and validity. I think yeah. other claims to look for would be like pasture raised or 100% grass fed. Um, again, those don't necessarily mean regenerative. To me, regenerative is the gold standard. It's like everything that you want from a positive welfare claim to um, the absence of a GMO to uh, generally um, to the absence of certain you know chemicals and pesticides generally speaking the majority of the good things you're looking for are wrapped up in the regenerative claim it's, it's, that's that's that could be kind of misleading because it You know, there may be some, some of that stuff in there, depending on, on the person or context. But again, if we're trying to make it really simple and we're trying to speak at a holistic and high level, to me, regenerative is, is, is the, is at the very tip of the spear and everything else is kind of subordinate to that. Mm. You know, I still think organic is a good thing to support. You know, I think organic is a, is, is not the destination. It is a milestone that should be celebrated, but is a far cry short of regenerative. Basically, organic says, hey, we're going to reduce. like There are certain chemicals this, that can't be applied on this food. And there are certain other chemicals that can be. So it's better. And, it's, and, it, and I think, again, it's an important milestone. But I think regenerative is the next step forward and the next future of where we need to be trying to raise the bar to.
0: I love
2: that you bring up animal welfare because some... You know, I'll see a lot of like, you know, vegetarians or, or vegans who that's why, um, they, they choose to not eat meat is because of the animal welfare. But, you know, in my understanding, regenerative farming does more for the vast, like the mass amount of animals and not, and for the animals being eaten, um, as well, where we get conventional farming, um, that might be making, you know, the, the beyond burgers or the impossible burgers, or even just the plants that actually does kill a lot of species, right?
1: A hundred percent. Um, the, I think like from a welfare, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to go from welfare perspective. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that regenerative does is, you're you're kind of looking to biology. You're looking to nature. So, what are the evolutionarily consistent behaviors that are desirable to these animals? You know, um, our systems evolved to let the, to have these animals express those behaviors and to benefit from them. And if our agriculture system prevents them or limits them from doing so, um, that's adverse to the outcomes on the land. But it's certainly a welfare issue. You know, cows want to want to graze and roam, and pigs want to root, and chit- chickens want to scratch and peck they won't want to be confined. Um, they don't want to live in synthetic environments and eat synthetic diets uh, surrounded by synthetic light. You know, cows don't want to eat, um, grains and corn. You know, they want to eat cellulose and grasses periodically when those are seeding out, maybe get some grains and corn. So like evolutionarily consistent diet, but I think you are mistreating animals when you aren't allowing them to live in a natural state. Um, and you're certainly mistreating them when you're imprisoning them. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, whenever you disrupt ecosystems and you destroy habitat, there's a major welfare, unintended welfare consequence on, on, on all of the, um, the, the <clears throat> uh, collateral damage, you know, all of the wildlife that should be there. That's not, that's lost its home. That's, you know, so on. And I would even go as far as on social issues, social welfare, you know, we, I think seven, I think 1800, we were like 60% farmers, 1700, we were 30% farmers. And, you know, now we're probably less than 3% farmers. So we're pushing farmers off the land. Washington was a farmer. Jefferson was a farmer. Our founding, you know, the founding of this country was based on farmers. Farmers are losing their land. They're losing their legacy. They're losing their purpose and identity and sense of self-worth. Um, farmer suicide is astronomically high. It's higher, higher than veteran suicide. This is a hopeless profession for people who are thanklessly feeding all of us. And you joked about Bill Gates earlier, uh, but I, you know, I don't think it's a joking matter that large agribusinesses are taking over the land that will feed us. I don't want Bill Gates and I don't want a solely profit driven psychopathic organization who doesn't take into consideration impacts on constituencies outside of their own shareholder worth making my food. I want families making my food. I want families that are part of communities that give a damn about the outcomes on the land for the animals and for the consumers that eat them, that have a vested interest in something bigger than themselves that have a soul that aren't again, acting like they're, Um, you know, experiencing some form of psychopathy as most large profit-driven corporations do. That exchange, Wendell Berry says, is replacing agriculture with agribusiness. Food should should be natural, should be biological. It should not be controlled by corporations and made in, in labs and factories. And that's the direction that this has been taking us, And that's the direction that lab grown, lab based plant, all this hyper process, ultra process, you know, inauthentic, synthetic food imitating substances that are harming and killing us um, are, are, are examples of that direction that we're heading.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's why we started off by saying Bill Gates, and then immediately we said, we don't play that because it is real. And unfortunately, people, unless it's like in their living room. Which they don't know that it is in the living room. That's when they people will start uh, taking a stand for it. But it, you know, we should take a stand for it before it's too late, because those types of you know egotistical psychotic organizations are buying up so much of our land that this regenerative farming would be squashed if that uh, keeps happening.
1: Well, let's let's just let's just make one last point on that. Um, if if we need I've given a lot of examples, but if we need more evidence that our system is broken, how screwed up is it that wealthy billionaires are able to buy up this land and make it work for them and their bottom line? Yep. But farmers who have been on this land for multiple generations, five generations, six generations, are unable to do that. Right. I mean, they've been doing this and it's in their family, it's in their DNA for hundreds of years or more. And all of a sudden the system is failing them where they lose their land, but it works and sets up perfectly for a billionaire to be able to acquire it. And the system supports them. Like, how do, hmm, what's going on there? Where are the incentives that are leading to, to those outcome at the expense of human beings? I have some really colorful language that I would use to describe that.
2: And thinking also about the health effects of yeah. these farmers, of these apply, applying the pesticides. I mean, we've seen that in some of the court cases. It is uh, it is heartbreaking that they are told by the manufacturers of these pesticides, oh, these are safe, and this is good, and this will increase product increase productivity. When in reality, it hurts the land. It hurts their land that they own, and it it really hurts their health and their body.
1: It's, it's, again, I say we're, it's replacing a vicious system with a virtuous one. It's so, we were talking about a little bit before the call, but it's so, there are so many positive results of making some of these relatively subtle shifts and how we produce food. Um, I think there are very serious social issues in our, in our, um, related to our food production communities we talk about how food is harvested we talk about you just talked about health issues relating to applying pesticides we talk about mental health I kind of touched on that a little bit you know many of us refer insult them by calling them pig farmers or calling them flyover states you know like this is these are found foundational communities to our larger overall um Uh, Society and 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 I just I just think that we could we could take that example and keep running with it. But yeah, it's it's really difficult um, to be a farmer in this system. The system's failing them. The bureaucrats and politicians and regulations are failing them. Um, And you know we'll probably get more to it. But like I talked about the scale of agriculture a moment ago. When you think about all of the devastating and harmful things that we're doing. At that scale, it's terrifying. And I could understand how somebody listening to this would be like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have listened. That kind of talk about raining on my parade. I thought I was going to have a good day and I just got told everything is screwed up. But there's another side to that coin. Given the scale of agriculture, when you're doing it really freaking bad, it's really bad. But when you're doing it good, it's really good. And so when we make shifts, we have that scale of an opportunity, that size of an opportunity to do some positive things. The, it is really, really encouraging. And it gives me a, a, an incredible level of hope because we've seen how rapidly nature can recover and restore. And if we stop disrupting, we stop interfering that we can see unbelievable acceleration of, of recovery and regeneration. Um, you know, unfortunately, again, we're not going to get the help of big food, big ag, big chemical, big petroleum and big pharmaceutical. Because they all have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo against the interest of consumers. And therefore, we're not going to get the benefit of our politicians and our regulations because the number one lobbying groups in Washington are all of the large complexes I just laid out. You could add in healthcare uh, to that. and you know, All of these groups benefit from uh, maintaining the status quo. But if there's going to be change and we're going to see that change impact and cause positive outcomes on the scale that we're hopeful it can, that will come from the consumer. That will come from our behavior in the market where, you know, we become aware of these issues and we begin to purchase things that more closely align with our values that are celebrating these regenerative systems that send demand signals into a supply network that justify and reward good actors and create incentives for more people to fall in line and produce those, and quite frankly, are punitive towards bad actors. When consumers shift away from things that are harmful and a a, a component of that vicious system, and they shift towards um, foods and items that are virtuous, it creates a disincentive to continue the bad practices and it forces even the biggest, most powerful organizations to make change. Nobody will make a product a consumer won't buy. So if we change and we lead this movement, as consumers, we're going to get the outcome that, that we want. And that's really exciting for me. And that's why I appreciate being here and I love talking about this stuff because it's like the people that are listening to this are the ones that will drive the change. You like it is we've seen this through history. It's, I know that we 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 have this, you know, struggle to understand how I'm just one person, how I can make a change. And yet, you know, we are all sitting here in the United States recording this podcast because a group of people had that belief that they could make change and fight for something. And we've seen that over and over and over again through history that when people rally together and stand up for themselves, they win.
0: Yeah. And so piggybacking off of that consumer driven, like I'm just going to give you an example of what my family and I do is we shop at farmer's markets. We try to support local farming. Um, We do use force of nature. We love the Oregon meats. We love the Oregon meats and the beef. Uh, We love the chorizo. You know, we love all that stuff. Trezo is probably my personal favorite. My daughter loves it too. Um, So say someone is living in a concrete jungle of a city, like in L.A. uh, You know, I'm from Chicago originally. What can people do to – how can they live to support that and and, uh, uh, do the consumer-driven – solution, would you say that, you know, small farms and the kind of the way that what I just described that we do as a family, is that the best way? Or is there other things that need to be included that, that I'm not aware of, or that other folks uh, should be aware of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a diversity of solutions, you know, and and, and that's the beauty of having a regenerative mindset, uh, I guess. I think, you know, I always say there's, just on meat in particular, and then we'll get into some demographics and, and, and methods. I always say that, you know, force, like what force of nature is trying to do is the third best place to get meat. I think the first best place is to um, take a gun or a bow and and go into some wild place and try to harvest your own food. Right. I think that there's, there's a lot of reasons I say that. One, it will be very healthy. It will be very good for you. Um, but I think more than that, It forces you to connect with a very real, very primal, very human uh, connection to your food and a very real, tangible, emotional, across all the senses, relationship with your food, a respect for it, a reverence for it. And it will also cause you to struggle and fail and give you a much deeper appreciation for that life, for that animal and for that bounty. And it will cause you to be grateful for the abundance and the opportunity that we have. And I just don't think there's any more natural or evolutionarily consistent way for us to get food than to actually have to struggle for it. And, and I think that's a really special, unique and necessary way for you to, to, to understand, um, our food systems. I think the second best way to get food or to get meat, excuse me, uh, is through, um, having your own regenerative farm or ranch or supporting one in your community. Um, you know, farmers and ranchers, I just highlighted a bunch of examples. They're, they're having a hard time. They're struggling. None of them are perfect. You can't expect anybody to be perfect. Um, they need help. And so if there are folks in your community that are doing it well and doing it right, um, and you have access to them through a, a retailer, through online shopping, through a CSA, through a farmer's market, they deserve your support. Um, I, I want to caution to say I don't think local is always better. You know, you can be doing disruptive and harmful practices at a small and local scale. Um, so you got to be careful of that. And so I think it's helpful to, to ask some questions, get to know the farmer, um, go visit the land if they are nearby and you are able. Are you practicing regenerative? Are you hundred percent grass fed? Tell me about your, your the, the way you treat your, your team and your employees and, and your animals. And are you excited? Like when people are really excited um, about what they're doing, They'll, they'll show you pictures and they'll tell you stories when they're not, they won't talk about it. They won't put the claims on the package. So to so try to do some diligence, but when you can support your local farmers and ranchers um, and that's where I, I come to force nature and, and say like, we're an example of the third best, you know, like we are absolutely trying to find as much regeneratively produced meat as we can. We are supporting Small community farmers and ranchers. We are supporting large scale farmers and ranchers. If you just want to raise cattle, great. If you want to have a brand and your own website and all the rest of the things, great. We're trying to support as many different types of farmers and as many different places as we can to help us on an international scale, address these, these global challenges that we're facing. Obviously we want to be America first, but we we do work with, with groups in Australia and New Zealand and in canada um and primarily united states but like we're aggregating and to your point like in in a a rural or sorry in a a densely populated city the new yorks the the la's the chicago's you may not have access like there are food swamps in these densely populated areas just like there are food deserts in, in in rural areas um it may be difficult to access um to go hunt your own food Maybe difficult to access a CSA or farmer's market or, or find somebody that like, Hey, I, I got my great beef supplier in my farmer's market, but I just don't have a way to get um, bison or something else. You know, that's where an aggregator that is a large, a much more scaled solution like force of nature comes into play. We're available in over 4,000 retail locations um, with a variety of products. You named our chorizo. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a wild boar product. We have venison and elk and bison and, beef and small amount of pork and poultry. We're available direct to consumer online, you can order it direct to your door. We're available in, in a bunch of, um, uh, in a growing number of restaurant chains. And our point is not to take share away from, from American farmers or ranchers, but to make sure that we can create that supply network that um, gives consumers, to your point earlier, access. Yeah. So they can send those demand signals so that we can create that rising tide that lifts all of the boats. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that we're trying to do is be a a a marketing company um and a content creation and a lifestyle brand where we can create awareness. So create awareness and create access and hopefully be um a leader in lifting up um the, the whole community around us, which is why I can say go buy from local before buying from us. You know, I want you to support regenerative because I know there's enough to go around. I mean, right now I think this is you know, less than 1% of the food system in the United States is regenerative. So like, there's a long way to go and there's a lot of opportunity for everybody. in. And then after us, I would say, you know, it's still important to consume meat and there's, there's less qualified, you know, natural, organic type, you know, scaled solutions. And then beyond that is like the super industrial commodified stuff that is going into basically whatever you find really, really cheap stuff and really, really cheap locations, you know, that would be your, your last, your last source of meat.
2: Yeah, I would say one thing that I think is a barrier for some is that they don't understand like the, the cost. And I I just want to highlight the cost of cheaper food is not necessarily at the grocery store or at the restaurant or at the, you know, the, the website, when you're purchasing the meat, it is later. And it comes in from the hospital bills and the medical bills, like, cause it does add up and it's not something that's like a right away thing, but it is something that if you prioritize and you value your health buying these good quality sourced meats and quality sort in quality foods it will make a difference in your bottom line eventually it just and it also makes a difference in your quality of life
1: yes yeah, it's, it's if if i can expand on that i got some really fun fun, num- fun numbers on that one um I, I call that the true cost of food yeah and, and you're right you know i think the the current system is punitive towards um small local regenerative high quality producers because the system again is predicated on cheapness that's what commodification is i think that's the uh, price above all else at the expense of all else um and i think in that in that uh race to the bottom you know we've exchanged value for cheapness i think is kind of is part of the point you're making in a number of ways we've talked about the sustainable sustainability ecosystems and ecosystems and land impact. We talked about welfare trade-offs. It's hard to quantify some of those things. Um, certainly in security, um, you know, I, you just touched on on health trade-offs of the true cost of food. Uh, Mark Hyman, uh, I was talking to him, and you know, I think in his book Food Fix, is he, he estimates the annual cost of chronic disease in the U.S. per year as at three point seven trillion dollars. Most of this chronic disease is the preventable disease of Western civilization type. So I just did some math to break that down. Um, that's uh, that's roughly like eleven thousand dollars per person per year, um, or nine hundred and twenty-eight dollars per person per month, or twenty-four hundred dollars per household per month, or about five hundred and fifty-seven dollars on your each on on an, on an average household's weekly grocery bill five, almost $600 a week on your weekly family grocery bill is the hidden cost of the health consequences Mm. of eating really crappy food that we were, we've made it cheap. We put it in the boxes and made it convenient, but we've lost, we've exchanged value. The other thing I like to say, and we're talking about meat specifically here is somehow the idea of like the thing that should be the cornerstone of our diet that carries all of the micro macro nutrients that we need to survive in the right ratios in the most bioavailable forms that also comes from sentient life has made it into our imagination and has been um socially engineered into our minds that it has to be the cheapest thing in the grocery store like this idea that you know a pound of ground meat should be three or four dollars is is absurd absurd you know ruffles potato chips are a dollar twenty an ounce my beef in the grocery store which is seen as elitist or super premium is 75 cents an ounce it's almost this meat is almost half as expensive as ripples potato chips that is crazy it's a fraction of the cost of almonds or olive oil or wine or bottles of water or coffee or fast food in fact we did an experiment with fast food and we showed that you can eat organic vegetables and grass-fed regenerative meat and a stir fry. And it can be 20% less expensive than going to a 7-Eleven or a half as expensive or going to a -A. Mm. Chick-fil-A. So like the cost of food, like this is the most affordable food on the planet, far and away. It won't make you be sick. It will allow you to be thriving. And on an absolute dollar for dollar basis, when you really break down what's going on, it is cheaper than everything in the cash register line that's labeled as candy and we perceive as inexpensive. It's absolutely less expensive on a dollar for dollar basis. It is also less expensive when you really factor in the true cost of food to your health, to the environment, to welfare, to social issues and on and on and on and on and
0: on. So just to get this right. So you're saying that like something like Ruffles chips, they just mark up so much that you that compared to what it should be, that it's a uh, just like a not a perception, but it's um, when you I guess it is, is when you put it in perspective of. How much? How much even cheaper it, those should be, and then when you when you factor that in, it would be uh, more efficient and um, to eat, you know, of nature things like that.
1: Yes, but I, I, but but that that requires a little bit more imagination. I'm just saying when you go to the store and you see a, a, a bag of chips, I don't I don't have the the math and sizing in front of me to to, to pull back up. Right, um, but you see a bag of chips for a, a few bucks, and there's only two ounces in there, and it's seventy five percent air. And you see, that like, oh, this is like two seventy nine. Cool, like that's cheap. What you don't realize is you're getting, you know, only a couple ounces. In got there. it. Got it. It's more yeah. ounces. Of, and, and, and what you're getting is cheap ass potatoes, a lot of processing, seed oils, uh, and a bunch of shit that's gonna kill you. Yeah. Uh, you you, you perceive it as cheap because the price tag is cheap. And then you go and you buy like a force of nature, regenerative pound of ground beef. And it's like 11.99, 75 cents a pound. Well, that's four servings. That'll give you over 20 grams of protein of servings, all of the macro and micronutrients that you need to survive. You break that ninety nine down into four meals. All of a sudden it's $3 a meal.
0: You break it down into ounces and again, it's 75 cents an ounce. So um that makes sense when you put it that way. Now now I got it.
1: Yeah, And then you go, and
0: you, like you talk about
1: that, you know, again, like a Starbucks coffee at eight bucks or, you know, a bottle of water at six bucks or a, a bottle of juice or kombucha or all these different things. It's like, this is the thing that offers us everything we need to survive. And we eat generally three times a day. Like, let's be really honest with ourselves about how important it is and how much value we need this to carry for us and then let's just like make sure we really look at the math so we're not we're not getting um misled by some persuasive um again um ways that we're told to think that we just accept as true it's like the price the, the shelf ta- like more volume less volume shelf price can be deceptive with price pack architecture like meat is the most valuable thing in the store
0: mm.
2: yeah i think i think also another thing to discuss would be the marketing that goes towards like especially women to like eat less meat and to be um, vegan or vegetarian and how it's not good for you and you know all these things that they'll say but it's super crucial for the nutrients that you get in meat that you can't find elsewhere for children especially Uh, they've done studies on the differences in vegetarian diets and um, and in meat and eat, eating diets, and it is shocking the differences. I've seen this at on um, uh, with patients that were with a vegan family that it has it changed drastically the levels of vitamin B twelve and vitamin D in the part in the in the developing child and how that can affect them long term. I I just think we have to get to a place where we need to start researching ourselves and knowing hey they're telling me that meat's bad, but I need to go figure out why they're saying this and really decide for ourselves and then see how you feel. A lot of people, I like that story. I think it's your, um, the other co-founder Taylor and him, his wife, is that right? Were they vegans at one point? Yes. yes. Yep. And they, and like, they realized just how much it was affecting their health and they started incorporating meat. Right.
1: Correct.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's something that we really have to battle against today because that is, um, I'm not saying everyone needs to eat all meat or to avoid certain foods, but just knowing that eating quality meat can be a very beneficial thing for your health and for the health of your children too.
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, to, to, to the point on um, you know, nutritional profiling, you know, I think some 40% of the world is nutrient deficient in, in, in some things and in, like the United States isn't exempt from that. I think 10% of the U S population is, is, is nutrient deficient. And if you look at it on a per nutrient basis, generally it's like iron, zinc, calcium, folate, B12. Um, those are the things we have the most challenge getting, even at the RDA level, the recommended daily allowance level. Um, and if you look at what are good sources of those, and then you add to that equation, that the source is actually bioavailable, meaning if you eat it, you will get the benefit of it in an efficient way. It is red meat and organs. So it, um, you know, Dr. Charlie, you, you brought up eating the, the ancestral blends. Well, that's why we have a ground meat product that incorporates some organ meat into it. A small enough ratio to make sure it still tastes good. In fact, most people literally can't taste the difference. You substitute uh-huh. it for any ground meat recipe you have, but you get the benefit of the incredible um, micro and phytochemical nutrient profile of the organs. I think it was um, Ty Beal that, that did a study on the most critically deficient nutrients, the most bioavailable forms, um, what you would need in order to um, get the benefit of that, And the number, like the numbers are astounding, right? Like to get a third of the RDA of iron, zinc, calcium, folate and B12, you need something like, like 13 calories of liver, which is like nine grams to do the same thing with chicken. You would need 960 calories, which is like almost 500 grams, you know? So it's like red, red meat, contrary to popular belief, red meat um is absolutely critical. Organs are accidentally critical. They are the found absolutely critical. They are the foundation for human health. And you go back to, you know, Lauren, you were talking about moms and, and and women. Like when we talk about nutrient deficiency, I think women are the are the worst off by the by the myths and lies that the conventional narrative is telling them. Number one, we have a massive portion portion of our population of women that is anemic, a massive portion of pregnant women that are anemic, and they're being told to reduce their consumption of red meat and not eat these organs, right? And they're being misled into thinking that chicken is healthy yeah. uh, or poultry yeah. is healthy. It is not. It's not necessarily as bad as a bag of potato. I'm not I'm not saying it's toxic. I'm just saying it is particularly in the really industrial form void of the nutritional density that we need to thrive and survive.
0: It's all it's all relative, right? Chicken's gonna be better than that, but there's nothing that I've seen on this planet that is more nutrient dense than red meat and organs, nothing. And when I, when I first started doing this type of frequency functional medicine in 2013, I sat down in a seminar on day one. First thing they say is that if your patient is not eating red meat, you shouldn't treat them because they will not heal to their full capacity. And and when they said that, it made me go into the deep dive of like how great red meat truly is for us when it's done properly. And then you know, then you go into the whole organ meats thing. And that's even has even more nutrients than than the muscle generally. And, uh, and I've treated 1000s and 1000s of patients. And I can tell you that the amount of times people have said that going on red meat, two things, there's this other thing comes to mind, two things, one going on red meat and organ meats, and two, reducing caffeine intake, those two things. So many people have said that that is the biggest thing that made a change in their health.
1: Yeah, I, I think just to expand on that a little bit, it is um, your, your red red meat and organs. But let's just let's just ex- expand that list: uh, liver, spleen, small dried fish, dark leafy greens, bivalves like oysters, um, kidney, heart, goat, beef, eggs, cow's milk, <laughs> canned fish short of uh dark leafy greens uh every one of those is an animal product (laughs) (laughs) that's right so uh you know those are your most nutrient dense forms of foods
2: yeah i i i think there is an attack on fertility on on women on men and, and and they they prey on you and they say that uh they make you feel bad for eating meat. Like it's not the right thing to do, but it's actually more environmentally conscious to honor the the system that was, was created for us. And, you know, I think we, we, we've lost respect for the, what was, what was given to us and for the world in general, for this earth, but also for our bodies and how we need to honor that. And we, if we can get back to the way it was intended, we really can be a lot healthier and but a lot in line with nature.
1: That's the goal. I think like the the health of any of any system depends on the health of all aspects of the system. You know, that's what the circle of life is. And I think we are a reflection of the health of our land and the health of our food. And I think you can see that, uh, that our health is in a state of decline as our lands are in a state of decline, as the health of our food is in a state of decline and, and so on and so forth. And when you begin to repair, um, each of those, um, those variables, you know, it has a a virtuous and and very circular, um, you know, benefit. Uh, And I think that's, that's what this mindset, that's what this food movement, and and, and that's what, you know, we aim to help try to be a, 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 play a key role in kickstarting and bringing the consumer into that, that awareness and give them that, again, that access, and then, you know, hopefully see our food system change for the
0: better behind it. Amen to that. Amen to that.
2: Yeah, I, I just, you know, uh, to the mom at home, you know, to the making meals, like these ground blends are so easy. And even my very, when I started incorporating them years ago, my, my very picky eating children did not notice a difference. And I was able to get them some nutrient dense meals. Um, even in the form of tacos, like it it is so easy to incorporate these blends and then expand, you know, the chorizo, the different, the different steaks that there's so many, there's so many offerings that they have, um, to just check them out. Um, they are available where, what all stores are you, are, are you guys available at?
1: Well, we have a store locator on our website, so you can put in your zip code and it'll tell you, but you know, again, all of the large um, natural foods retailers, the Whole Foods, Sprouts, natural grocers, so many of the larger regional ones. Doesn't matter where you are in the country. Um, many of the many, many of the co-ops and mom and pop shops, etc. But we, we we put it online and make it easy. And if you can't find the product that you want, again, we, you can order it online to your door. And so, you know, we are trying to have what you want in the form you want it, where you want to get it. We're just trying to make it easy. Um, again, we're not the best, and we have there's, there's good things that we do. There's, there's, there's cons to what we do. Like we're just not perfect, but we're trying to do the best we can and make it as easy for the consumer to get involved.
2: Yeah. We, we, and we appreciate that. I I really have to say that what you all have done, you're pioneers and going out and doing this and really, as well as educating and spreading awareness, um, which isn't easy to do in today's world with so many people that are making it cool to be, um, to be vegan or to be vegetarian. it is, it is, so important that you guys are educating on just how to to live one with the earth and to really take care of our animals. Well,
1: I appreciate it. The health of all things is interrelated.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I will definitely say that I think that the um, the beef blend t- is tastes better than regular ground beef. In my opinion, I think that the organ makes things taste. Uh, if you had to do a blind taste test, I think that there's more flavor in organs than, than just, uh, meat. And so I am a huge fan. And like I said, that chorizo is so fire, but my sprouts doesn't carry it. So I got to get it online. And, um, yeah, man, is there anything else that you want to say before, uh, before we hop off?
1: I'll just, I'll just, if, if I, if I may, just cause the ancestrals have come up a few times. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we're all fans of, of organ meats, but, but many consumers are intimidated by them. Um, and so when we, you know, just a funny story about creating those products, we knew we wanted to do it. And in fact, we were frustrated. Um, cause when we first came out with that, that line was the first year the U S statistics showed that, you know, children being born, born today will have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. And it's like, ah, how are we at this date and this age with everything we know? Moving backwards. It's like here's an example. This would have been the most highly sought after food, the organs would have been the most highly sought after food our ancestors um, would have pursued. It's when you look in the wild, you look at carnivores taking down animals, they generally go for the organs first. We've we've removed them from our diet. We've distanced ourselves from that evolutionary and historical truth. And so that's why we named them our ancestral blend. This is what our ancestors would have wanted us um, to, to have, but we also knew we had to, had to make it palatable. And so, you know, the, our first batches, um, I took home, uh, and made for my nieces and nephews, little kids. (laughs) I didn't tell them, I just said, Hey, this is my company. This is some of our meat. Uh, I made hamburgers. I didn't put them on buns. I didn't give them eggs and ketchup and things like that. I just kind of put like some salt, a little bit of salt and pepper. So they really had to taste the meat and just gave it to them. And I didn't tell them there's organs in it. Um, and they are like, Oh, uncle Robbie, we really like your meat. This is, this is so good. Can I have some more? I was like, all right, nailed it. You know, like kids will eat organs and not even know they're doing it and want more. That's the right ratio. Um, and, and so again, you still get all of the, I think we're at somewhere between eight and, and 10%. Um, you still get all of the, uh, the, the benefit again, it takes a few grams to go a long way for your health, but, um, you don't have to, you don't have to be scared or intimidated about what it might taste like or how you might cook it. So in my household, I'm I'm like you, it's a staple. Um, it's our go-to. It's so, so easy to again, substitute it for any recipe of ground meat that you have, or toss them out, get a bag of frozen organic vegetables, throw them in the skillet. And in 15 minutes, you can feed your family something that's super inexpensive and cost effective. Highly, highly, highly nutritious and valuable and very, very quick and easy.
0: We love it. Um, Last thing I'll say is uh, thank you, honestly, for coming on and thank you for what you're doing. As Lauren has already said that uh, we are very um, honored to talk to you and just love what you're about, love what you're doing. And the one thing I couldn't help to notice is we talk about like synergy and stuff. When you're talking, you see your passion. And you've turned it into your business, which is like the best of all worlds, right? You, you have this passion. You have, uh, you saw that there was an issue. You've provided people with a solution. And the biggest thing of all is you've provided an awareness, which will change people generationally. And that's pretty much what has, what is the product of our, um, our podcast. And that's why Lauren has done social media. That's why I started my membership and her and I go on this to bring awareness of things like this exist. And, and, uh, we have a big passion for that. So Robbie, thank you for coming on truly. Uh, if I make it down to Texas, I want to come see your place. I want to come see the, the ranch and all that type of stuff. Um, so maybe we can make that happen one day.
1: Heck yeah. Hit us up if, if, if when you're down here and, and, and the, just for, for the folks listening. That ranch you're talking about is owned by my co founders, Katie and Taylor. It's just outside of Austin. It's called Rome Ranch. You can check out their website. Um, We actually do an event every year called uh, What Good Shall I Do? Um, It's a Force of Nature sponsored conference. We do it on that ranch. We just launched ticket sales for that uh, here in um, October, November timeframe that takes place on Earth Day. But again, if you just want to learn more about what we're about regenerative agriculture, about this food movement, or about Force of Nature, um, come to our website, force nature.com, go to our Instagram page at force of nature meets. Um, we have a podcast called, uh, where hope grows. We've got some stuff on there too. Um, again, just educate yourself. If you don't buy anything from us, great. That's fine. Do what you think is right for you, but, um, try to get connected to your food. I'd love to help inform you and, 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 uh, and introduce you and, give you the opportunity to support a system that aligns with your values. And we're putting out constantly putting out content to, to do that. So please follow us and, uh, and, and best of luck and good health. And, and thank you both Dr. Charlie and Lauren. Um, you know, again, this is what we can't do what we do without your, your support. And I'm um, really, really appreciate the opportunity to be here.
0: Love it. All right, folks, thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.